freedom, becoming fully alive. We're so glad you're here today. Today we're going to be talking about probably my favorite subject of all. In fact, if the Lord said, Steve, you can only teach on one thing, this would be the one thing, forgiveness, because I really believe it's the, the centerpiece of life. Without forgiveness, we aren't free. And if we don't forgive others, we surely won't stay free. So let's commit our time to the Lord, pray that he'll speak to your heart, and breathe fresh life into perhaps something that's been fairly familiar to you, but he'll make it new and fresh today. Lord, we just praise your holy name. We thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness throughout the day. Lord, stir our hearts today with the reality of the forgiveness that has been extended to us by you. And Lord, give us the grace we need to forgive anybody and everybody the slightest offense. Lord, cause us to come fully alive. May these not be just words, but may these, be, may these words be reality, descriptive reality in our lives, truly free, becoming fully alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme verse today is on the cover of your handout, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God is kind. I don't know whether you've ever thought of that much or at all, but God is kind. So a question I have for you today, not to put you on the spot or anything, not to challenge you, not to play the Holy Spirit. I'll let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. But are you kind? Is your life kind? Are you compassionate? Are you considerate? Are you patient with others? That's something to think about. Let the Lord speak to you on that. Are you forgiving? Are you a forgiving person? And I'm not talking about being tolerant, uh, anything goes. Um, love has wisdom. Love is holy. You know, you'll hear uh, many times in the world today, we just need to love one another. Well, those words are true, love one another, as he has loved us. But what does that mean? Does that mean anything goes? Does that mean no absolutes? Does that mean no plumb line? Does that mean no holiness? Just, we just need to love and accept anything and everything and not take a stand on anything? I don't think that's what it means. Love is wise. Love is holy. Love is pure. Love is compassionate. Love is many, many things. And may that word love come alive because, you know, even that word has become, is used in many different situations. Like, I, I love big red football, or I love that hot dog, or I love this, or I love that. So then when it comes to, I love Jesus, what does that really mean? Because I've already used that word in so many other situations. So, love one another as he has loved us. I don't know how many of you have seen the Passion movie by now. But uh, this past week, even though I was out of town, we managed to see that. And uh, we could take our whole time and more talking about that. But as I viewed that movie and I saw the suffering of, of Jesus, I, among, other, <clears throat> among other things, I was just moved with uh, such a realization of amazing amazing love and you know it was real easy at times to think well you know the the Pharisees and the religious leaders you know that's they were really bad but that's not who I am but then if I allowed myself to to think about it some more it's like I've been that way and uh, maybe I haven't denied Jesus like Peter did in that form, but I've denied Jesus in different ways, like Peter did. And I've been like King Herod, the fool, just the, the arrogant fool. And uh, the love of God is just beyond comprehension. 
and his suffering. You know, when you, when you think about it, it's like, oh yes, everything matters. If you've been hurt, it matters. If you've been wounded, it matters. If you've been offended, it matters. It matters to him. But <laughs> compared to his hard dying for us, <laughs> does it matter when you put it into perspective? And I'm reminded of, of Luke the 11th, uh, excuse me, the 7th chapter. Luke the 7th chapter, if we could turn there. Luke the 7th chapter. I'll start with verse 36 where it says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This Pharisee was named Simon, by the way, and not Simon Peter, Simon the Pharisee. And when a woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, him mean Jesus, said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But Jesus answered him because Jesus knew her thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owned a certain, owed, a certain, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus turned to the woman he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins... Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. So could we say that he that's been forgiven much loves much? Do we know how much we've been forgiven? Do you know how much you have been forgiven? Do you need to be forgiven? Have you needed to be forgiven? I really believe that as we see the reality of our sin, our great sin in our life. And that was another thing I was thinking about during the Passion movie is that my sins put Jesus on the cross. I crucified Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't just the Jews, it wasn't the Romans, it was all of mankind put Jesus Christ on the cross. I put Jesus. <laughs> I just think, And here they are, gambling for his clothes at the foot of the cross. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's amazing, amazing love. And this woman, this woman who had been immoral, had had revelation of his love, and she responded to his love. She surrendered to his love. She submitted her life to him, and she loved him because she had the reality of much sin, much forgiveness, much love in response. There, there is. There's the pattern. Is there love in our lives? If there's a lack of love in our lives, maybe as we trace it back, the reason why there's a lack of love in our lives is because there's a lack of revelation of the sins that we need forgiven or the sins that have been forgiven. And as we have that revelation, great love and response. I'm convinced, one reason why, 
because I don't gear it up. I don't try to make anything happen, but I'm convinced one of the reasons why I have such love, devotion, and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ is because I have a great revelation of, of what a sinner I was. I'm a son now. <laughs> I'm a son. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a son now and forever, a relationship broker son, investing in others with eternity in mind. But one of the reasons why there is such a great love for him is because I have such a great revelation of how rotten I was. And I'm so grateful. I'm amazed. I am amazed at the grace of God. I'm amazed at his forgiveness. I'm amazed that he would suffer for me. I'm amazed that he would die for me. And I'm grateful. And my life is an expression of that gratefulness. I believe there's, that's tied to becoming fully alive. If we're not fully becoming alive, is it because we don't know how much we need his great love? We don't know how much we need his great forgiveness. We don't know how much we need him. But as we see that and as we respond to him, we come alive with gratitude. We come alive with love. We come alive with forgiveness. Does anybody owe you anything? Because that's what unforgiveness is. You owe me. I want to skip ahead to a part of our outline today that relates to this. Let's turn to Matthew 18. Get to the heart of this uh, session today. Because I, I don't want this to get past us today, uh, by us today, to pass us by. This is the heart of, of this session today, what we're about to talk about now in terms of what does it really mean to forgive? What is it? What is it not? What is it? It's so key that we know. Well, there's a parable. It's in uh, Matthew 18, started, starting with verse 21. And it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times 70, depending on your translation. And that doesn't mean multiply that out, and when you get to that, then you're done, and then you don't have to forgive anymore. No, forgive and keep on forgiving. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, $10 million, if you will, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to pay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him, and he said, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his ser fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, twenty dollars. A hundred denarii, twenty dollars. So he'd been forgiven ten million, and then somebody owed him twenty dollars. And what did he do? Having just been forgiven ten million, he grabbed him, he began to choke him, and he said, Pay back what you owe me. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Before I go on, does anyone owe you anything for your sake? Let me reduce it to the lowest possible common denominator I can think of. Is anybody even bugging you today? Does anybody even irritate you today? Does anybody even get under your skin today? Oh yes, you might hate somebody today. You might have rage at times in your hearts towards some. But I'm not talking about just hatred or rage or uh, inflamed anger. I'm talking about, does anyone bother you, bug you, irritate you, even in the slightest degree? Because even that, even that has the seed of a claim. It has a claim. You're doing something I don't want you to do, and I want you to change now. There's a claim. There is a, I, you owe me something attached to that. Pay me what you owe me. Now, I'm not talking about money. Money's just being used here to illustrate. I'm talking about attitude of heart. I'm talking about uh, 
an expectation unmet or a wrong done or a betrayal or, or whatever, fill in the blank, or just somebody's uh, personality, just how they, they, maybe they talk too much and it bugs you, or maybe they try to correct everything you say. You know what I mean? You just can't say hardly anything in the presence of some people and they'll correct it. And that bugs you, that irritates you, that might maybe even offend you. So it doesn't have to be big, 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 but it, if, is it getting under your skin? Is it bugging you? Is it bothering you? Therein, therein is the seed of what I'm talking about. So let's just pause for a moment. Anybody bugging you? Anybody bothering you? Because the way to deal with it will be the same way as if you hated them, as you shall, as we will see in a moment. Well, as this goes on, verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and, sold their ma uh, they went and told their master everything, everything that had happened. And when the master, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Now, I don't know whether you noticed it or not, but it said, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. Torture is not a work of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to open the door to influence from the enemy, then have unforgiveness in your heart. We've already said previously, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27 of Ephesians 4, don't give any foothold to the devil. If you want to open the door for the influence of the enemy, his deception, his influence to get you all stirred up, his influence to blow it out of proportion, his influence to make it bigger than life, his influence to really get you focused on what you think you deserve and your rights and all of that, get your eyes off of him and onto others or yourself, then you can open the door with unresolved anger and unforgiveness. Now, how important is unforgiveness to the Lord? Well, let's take a look at um, Matthew 6 before we go on in the outline. Matthew 6, at the end of what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, which starts in uh, Matthew 6, 9, our Father who art in heaven, and then it goes on, verse 14, Matthew 6, 14, for if you, give men, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That gets my attention. Sounds like it's uh, very important. Then there's Mark, skipping over to Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark 25 and 26. Mark 11, I should say, yes. Mark 11, 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And then in verse 26... But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins. How important is it to forgive? Well, it sounds like if you won't forgive others, your relationship with the Lord is going to be seriously affected. I don't know about you, but I want to be forgiven. <laughs> and you know, I think you're either forgiven, we're either forgiven or we're not. You know what I mean? It, it's not like, well... He's forgiven me for thus and so, but he hasn't forgiven me for these other things. I want to be forgiven 100%. We're either forgiven or we're not. Because as forgiven sons and daughters, we're accepted 
in the beloved. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, no longer slaves to sin. He is our life. That's his desire. Forgiven, capital F. And he wants us to give what has been given to us. But let's go back to Matthew 18. What does it really mean to forgive? What does it really mean to forgive? In that verse, pay back what you owe me. Can you imagine that? Just being, just having been forgiven a debt you could never pay, and then you're going after somebody for a measly $20. That doesn't sound like an example of he that's been forgiven much loves much. In other words, there's not much revelation, is there, of forgiveness. Just like back in Luke 7, that woman had revelation of the much. Do you, do, do I, do we have revelation of the much? That will be key, because as you have revelation of the much, the much sin against God, the much forgiveness granted, unmerited favor and grace, his suffering, his dying, his great love. He shows his kind of love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. But what does it mean not to forgive? Well, it doesn't mean explaining it away. I think sometimes it's a stumbling block to us uh, forgiving people because we think, well, I can understand why they did what they did or didn't do what they didn't do because their dad is that way or their mom is that way or their upbringing has been that way. So we make excuses for them. Forgiveness is not explaining it away. A forgiveness is not minimizing it. Well, that's okay. I'll let it go this time. It takes humility to forgive. Did you ever think of it this way? that when you make excuses for someone, explain it away, minimize it, it's not, it's not actually, it's, it's not humility, it's being condescending. Because in order for you to really forgive somebody, it takes humility because somebody's gotta pay. That's one thing to keep in mind. When it comes to forgiving, somebody does need to pay. And when you explain it away, minimize it or whatever, nobody's having to pay. Well, in the case of our sin, who paid? Did he deserve to pay? Did he commit any of our sins? But he took all of the sins of the human race upon himself. He took all the effects on himself. And then he offered himself up to the Father. When we forgive somebody, that's exactly what we do. We take the effects on ourselves. I mean, we don't become sin. We don't take on, we don't, we're not guilty of their sins, if sins are involved. Sometimes it's just unmet expectations. There's no sin involved. Uh, we just had unmet expectations. Since God looks at the situation, he, he doesn't think they did anything wrong, but we were still offended. So sometimes an offense doesn't even include sin, but it's wrong in our eyes, so we're offended, we're hurt. But what does it mean to forgive them? We take the effects on ourselves. We're not guilty of the wrongdoing. We take the effects. We've been affected. We take it upon ourselves. We're paying. We are paying, and we offer it up to the Lord. Just like Jesus, he took our sins upon himself, offered himself up to our Father. We take the wrong and the effects upon ourselves, the effects of the wrong upon ourselves, and offer up to the Father. That takes humility. So in other words, somebody's got to pay. So when I forgive, if Stu, in my mind, wrongs me, in order for me to forgive him, somebody's got to pay. So when I forgive him, who paid? Who paid, Steve, uh, Stu? Well, Jesus paid it all, ultimately. But if I forgive you, I pay. The forgiver always pays. <clears throat> it's something to keep in mind. I mean, it takes humility to forgive. Now, if you're explaining it away, minimizing it, <clears throat> nobody has to pay. So it doesn't get resolved. It's not really 
reconciled. It's not really taken care of on the inside. And that is a big problem because we just let things build up because we minimize, we minimize, we explain away, but we let it build, build, build. And it's really building more than we realize. And then it gets a grip on us that we aren't counting on. It affects our thinking, clouds our thinking. The enemy gets in there and affects our thinking because we've opened the door to him. So this is imperative. Before I go on, I want to refer to a verse in Proverbs 4.23 that stresses again the importance of this. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, and you don't even need to turn there, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all things, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life, depending on your translation. Guarding our hearts. I can't stress enough the importance of resolving any speck of unforgiveness, any speck of irritation, which is the seed. Because if you don't, it has the potential to poison you. It has the potential of snaring you. It has the potential of destroying your life. We must, we must resolve the issues of our heart. We must take care of our hearts. We must care for our hearts. I think of, uh, of a man who I, many men could fit this description, but I think of a man who I knew years ago who was married to a woman and he didn't take care of his heart. And um, he said yes on the outside to his wife for years and years and years, but on the inside he was saying no. Things were building up. And after 25 years of marriage, he hated her. And he ended up leaving her. And he ended up really going astray. And I really believe the Lord's hand of protection was removed from his life and he's no longer alive today. He didn't take care of his heart. Now he's just one example, there could be many. It is a dangerous thing not to take care of your heart. I don't want you to feel threatened. I don't want you to feel uh, um, that I'm using a fear tactic for you to do anything. I pray that you'll be motivated out of love, not fear, because God wants us to respond to him out of love, not fear of the consequences but out of love for him, because of the revelation of his great love, because of the revelation of what it really meant when he suffered for us and died for us, and that is love. And what's our response? Is our response, having been forgiven a debt we could never pay, is our response to go after somebody for a $20 bill in comparison? Think about that for a moment. We're gonna pause just for a moment. Is there anyone today that comes to mind that you are holding anything against in the slightest degree. Well, we've talked about um, that it's not minimizing, that it's not explaining away, um, it's not making excuses for others. So what, what else can we say? in terms of uh, what it is not. Well, one thing for sure is it's so important that we get over this hurdle that um, if they don't ask for forgiveness, uh, I just can't seem to forgive them. In other words, we, we tend to set standards. What if they don't see their wrong? What if they don't see their wrongdoing? Because if they don't see their wrong, if they don't admit their wrong, if they don't ask for forgiveness, then do I have to forgive? Well. What does the Bible say? Forgive one another as he has forgiven us. It doesn't mean that they will ever ask for forgiveness. Notice in this passage, when Jesus uh, was talking with Peter and Peter came up to him, how many times do I forgive? And uh, there's no condition there. There's no condition, it's unconditional. Forgive and keep on forgiving. But I think this is a big hurdle because we think, well, if I forgive them, if I forgive them, I cancel the debt. They owe me nothing. If I forgive them, what if they keep doing it again? What if they wrong me again? What if, what if, what if? That's a big hurdle, isn't it? Well, I think the way to settle that so that it 
should no longer be an issue is take a look at what it really means to forgive. And what it really means to forgive is spelled out in, in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. When you forgive somebody, you look that offense right in the eye, so to speak, the offense. You're honest with it. And you cancel the debt. Are you saying it doesn't matter? No, I'm not saying that. Are you explaining it away? No. Did it hurt? Perhaps it really hurt deeply. Was it really wrong? Perhaps it really was in God's eyes too. So you're totally honest with yourself, totally honest with the Lord, but you cancel the debt in your heart and you say in your heart between you and the Lord, they owe me nothing for my sake. Lord, they owe you everything. We all do but they owe me nothing for my sake and my satisfaction. That's a key. Nothing for my sake or satisfaction. Because, why? Because, Lord, you've given me everything. You love me. You've forgiven me. You're enough. You're my life. They aren't my life. Do you, have you ever thought that if you are holding unforgiveness towards somebody, it's really a form of idolatry because it's kind of like they have to do something or stop doing something in order for you to be free, in order for you to be happy, in order for you to be complete, for, in order for you to be satisfied, in order for something to happen for your sake that, that satisfies you. Satisfied for your sake. So it's kind of like unforgiveness isn't satisfied. I'm not satisfied. You owe me. But when we forgive, we cancel the debt and we're satisfied. Not because anything's changed necessarily. Not because we like their behavior. Not because anything has changed in the way of circumstances, perhaps. But why am I satisfied? I'm satisfied right here. He is the source of my satisfaction. Jesus has paid a debt I could never pay. His forgiveness satisfies me. His love satisfies me. My sonship satisfies me. He's enough. Oh, yes, I would love that to change, but why do I want it to change? Why do I want that other person to change? Do I want them to change for my sake, their sake, or Jesus' sake? The highest cause, the highest purpose is for them to change for Jesus' sake, for their best. But secondarily, certainly for their best, and as opposed to your, his best, number one, their best, secondarily, and what I want and need to be satisfied, is that what it's all about? An unforgiving spirit is never satisfied. Perhaps you know people, and if you are one, may the Lord deliver you, and I say that in love, but perhaps you know people that are never satisfied. They're very critical. They have a critical spirit. To them, bad news is good news. Other people's bad news is their good news to talk about. And that's a sad commentary, isn't it? They almost thrive on the problems of others. They almost thrive on what's going wrong in the lives of others. They almost thrive on talking about others and being critical of others. That's an unforgiving spirit. Now, maybe they're speaking out of wounds. Maybe they're speaking out of their own hurts. But it's still wrong because it's not love. It's not forgiveness. It's not compassion. It's not a benevolent spirit. It's not living in the light of God's suffering and his dying for us. And everything comes into perspective in that light. Everything gets really simple, really uncomplicated in the light of the blood of Jesus Christ. Real, real clear. But it gets real muddy if I've got to be satisfied. It gets real muddy if I've got to have my way and my claim is the important thing. So if I forgive Mitch, he owes me nothing for my sake. And I can look between Mitch and myself. I can say, well, if Mitch keeps doing that which has offended me, that's between him and the Lord. I may need to confront him uh, in the context of relationship. But if I do confront him, I need to forgive him first. And I need to confront him because I'm committed to him, not because I want to feel better. Because you know, I'll feel better if I confront him. I'll try to straighten him out. Keep in mind, if you, confront, if you confront anyone with a perceived offense or wrongdoing, forgive them first. Because if you don't forgive them before you confront them, you'll go to them with a claim. 
your confrontation will include a claim on them right in the midst of it. It'll have a demand. The confrontation with a demand versus you owe me nothing, now I'm coming to you because maybe there's something going on in your life that you don't realize is going on, a message you're sending that you don't realize you're sending, an offense that's going on that you don't realize, and I care about relationship, I care about our relationship, that's why I'm coming. But unforgiveness is only concerned about self, not concerned about the relationship, and sometimes masquerades in the light of what's right. You know, comes in the name of right. Comes in the name of right, what is right even in the Bible. But so many times it's just masquerading because the presentation issue is what's right in God's eyes, but inside the heart is wrong in God's eyes. The heart attitude toward that person is wrong. The assessment may be correct. They're wrong. You may have a correct assessment of somebody's wrong but you could have a sinful attitude toward their wrong. And that is what I'm addressing today, mostly, is the attitude of the heart. Have we forgiven? Does that mean, does that mean if we forgive people, we just roll over, we become passive, they can just push us around, kick us around, we never stand up, we never have any conviction? Is that what it means to walk in forgiveness? No, 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 no. May we be totally, totally wholehearted in um, our convictions and, and unto the Lord with humility and uh, with patience and not passive but assertive and in the right sense and proactive and, and, not, afraid, and not, to, not afraid to say what we think and not afraid to confront living courageously so not just passively and may we be willing to confront wrong may we be willing to stand for what we believe is right but in the midst of all of it, will we cancel the debt? Father, forgive them. <laughs> they know not what they do. Cancel the debt. They owe you nothing for your sake. If you want to be cured forever, if you struggle with unforgiveness, if you want to be cured forever, adopt an attitude of they owe me nothing because Jesus has given me everything. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that the unforgiving servant wanted more time to pay the debt? There it is. I think that's a key point there because he apparently did not have revelation that the debt was beyond his reach. It was impossible. Do we have revelation that we can't live the Christian life, that we can't Live the we, Do you realize you will not live the rest of your life without sinning? And that, that's not a negative confession. I'm not being, I mean, it'd be potential, possibly you could live the rest of your life without sinning, but should that be the goal anyway? If that is the goal, your eyes will be on yourself anyway, and you'll probably get prideful about it after a while. And in your perception, it'll probably be incorrect. You'll probably be sinning more than you realize. So should that even be the goal? He should be the goal. Relationship with him, intimacy with him. Obviously, sin wrecks that. If we, if we sin, it will ruin our relationship with him or affect it to some degree. But I can think of few things, and maybe this is the central thing that could do damage to our relationship with the Lord. Because I, I can't think of anything that's closer to God's heart. Because look what he did. <laughs> look what he gave. Look how he suffered. Look how he died. And are we convinced? Are we convinced we needed it? Are we convinced we had a debt of sin we could have never paid? And have we humbled ourselves and allowed him to pay it? Have you? I can stand before you today just agreeing with God. I have. Not because I'm better, not because it's an issue of pride. I'm just trying to agree with God. I have. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced I needed a Savior. I'm convinced He is my Lord. I'm convinced I needed Him desperately, and I still do, and I can do nothing apart from Him. This fellow servant, I don't think he was convinced because the proof that he wasn't convinced is that after he'd been forgiven this debt that was out of his reach, he went out and tried to collect a $20 debt. 
Can you imagine that? Think of what would it take, how much would you have to owe for this to sink in? Maybe for some, $1,000 would have the same effect on you. Maybe for others, it would take a million. Maybe for others, it would take 10 million. What would it take? How much would it take for you to owe? And then when that was paid, you were, you were, you were just amazed. You were just blown away. You're, how can this be? How can this be? I could have never paid this. So draw the parallel, a debt of sin that I could never pay. But it's paid. Luke 7, the woman, the immoral woman, she was convinced. And in, um, in the movie, the Passion movie, you know, the one of the flashbacks when he went back to uh, the religious leaders that were going to stone Mary Magdalene, and he said, let he that is without sin throw the... He didn't say it, but you know the story. Let he that is without sin cast the first stone. That's what the Bible refers to. Well, they dropped their stones and they left. Well, what did he say? In the Bible, he says, where are your accusers? Well, they're gone. Was this tolerance? No. Was this minimizing? No. Go and sin no more. And you remember, during his suffering and his dying, did you, did you see what was going on? In Mary Magdalene's, did you see what was going on on her, the expressions on her face, her body language? Did you see? I mean, the reality, the reality of his suffering for her, the reality of his death for her, the woman caught in adultery, the woman who had lived a promiscuous lifestyle, and he died for her. Do we have that reality that he died for us? Will that make any difference in how we relate to others? Now, I'm not saying that that should mean we minimize things or that we condescend in any way, but it's like, I have been forgiven. I am so grateful. I've been forgiven a debt I could never pay. Then you realize what it cost. See, we're not talking about minimizing. We're not talking about comparisons. It's not, a, it's, a, it's not a fair comparison. What compares to the blood of Jesus? Nothing. But the issue is this. It costs something to forgive. It costs Jesus the ultimate. It doesn't cost us the ultimate. But cost us, it does. And if it doesn't cost you something, if you're not aware, when you forgive somebody, if you're not aware that it's costing you something, are you really forgiving them? Because it does cost us something to forgive. So how to forgive? Describe to yourself the actual offense committed. Be honest. How you've been affected. Write it on paper if necessary. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Humble yourself. If you realize you have unforgiveness in your heart, confess that to the Lord. Part C, recognize the offense is a debt owed, and now you're choosing to cancel the debt. And that Christ, the debt payer, and God, the Father, the forgiver, live in us by the Holy Spirit and give us the grace to forgive. Commit the offender in the situation to the Lord. Realize that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice of our will. It's, um, it's a decision. But... A big question is, well, what if I can't forgive this person? I, I just, Steve, I just can't seem to forgive this person. What, what do I do now? Well, my response to that is not, well, well, just forgive. My response to that is not to bring up the very things that I've already brought up today. Referring to the Passion movie, which of course is based on the Gospels and the reality of what the Word of God says in the Gospels about Jesus and his suffering and his death for us on the cross, the reality of that. So my approach is not going to be to rub that in your nose and try to shame you. Well, don't you know what he did for you? Aren't you grateful? Does it really matter? Look what he did. What's this in comparison? That's going to bless you, isn't it? No. Shaming you into forgiving is not going to bless you. Fearing you into forgiving is not going to bless you. It's not going to help you at all. So what is going to help? Well, 
processing the issues of the heart. There's a handout in your material today by that title. And it's really what the Ministry of Fresh Start is founded on, is this tool of processing the issues of the heart. It's tailor-made to help us forgive people that are hard to forgive. And I suppose that just could describe anybody or everybody. But the hardest of situations often need this kind of help. But what is this? It is a tool, and a tool is just that. It's not the end. It's not the goal. It's a means to an end. But why is this tool helpful? Why is it needful? And I suppose the easiest thing to say is that it allows process in the midst as you make, as decisions are made, and, and forgiveness is a decision, but it acknowledges that any decision from the heart often requires a process for it to really be real, for it to really be valid. Because what we don't want, what the Lord doesn't want, is for you to mouth the words. Well, I know I'm supposed to forgive thus and so. I know I'm supposed to forgive this person, so I'll do what's right. I want to be obedient to the Lord. Wonderful. God will honor that. He loves obedience. But is it from the heart? Is it from the heart? The Lord wants us to forgive from the heart. Does that mean we feel like it? No, that's not the issue. Feeling like it isn't the issue. A decision, an act of the will, not dependent upon the other person asking, not dependent upon the other person ever changing, not dependent upon you telling the person that you have forgiven them. That's not a biblical requirement. After you forgive someone, you do not have to tell them that you have forgiven them. They may ask, they may not. The day they do, you may be able to say, well, then you could say, I already have. Or if you haven't, you hopefully will then. Obey the Lord then. But you don't have to forgive somebody and then call them up and say, Mom, Dad, Sister, Brother, I just want you to know I've hated you for the last 25 years. But today, I went to the freedom class. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, and I forgave you today. I just want to let you know I don't hate you anymore. Wouldn't that be a blessing? No. This is between you and the Lord. This is between you and the Lord. Keep that in mind. When you ask somebody for forgiveness, obviously you're interfacing with them. But when you're forgiving someone, it doesn't require you to interface, interface with the offender. The offender may be dead. And I don't recommend trying to talk to the dead. So you don't have to interface with the offender. It doesn't require you to have much contact with the offender. To forgive them is a separate issue than being in relationship with them. It may not be wisdom for you to be in relationship with them anymore. Does that mean you haven't forgiven? No, it's a separate issue. Do you have to like their lifestyle? Do you have to approve of what they do? Do you have to even like being around them, separate issue. Do you have to trust them? No, they may not be trustworthy, separate issue. Those issues of acceptance, trust, contact, frequency and relationship, depth of relationship, those are all separate issues. To forgive is the issue, to cancel the debt. So as you look over this tool, and something I'd like you to do between now and next weeks for this to really sink in, for this to really sink in and not rush into this, but even use this one piece of paper front and back and answer these questions and write out your answers. Who or what has hurt you or offended you? Or what have you lost? Many times it's an issue of loss. How have you been affected? What have your thoughts been? What have your feelings been? How have you responded? What have you decided? Maybe sometimes in the face of being offended, or betrayed, you're thinking, I'll never trust anybody again, or I'll never get close to anybody again, or I'll never get married again, or fill in the blank. We make these decisions out of hurts and wounds. And then the fourth part, pour your heart out to the Lord. This is decision-making in process. I really believe our Heavenly Father is, tell me more, tell me more. He's not saying, what kind of a son are you? What kind of a daughter are you? I don't like what's in your heart. You've got stinking thinking going on. Clean up your heart now. Clean up your act now. No, I believe our Heavenly Father is, tell me more. Bleed all over me. Get it out. Pour your complaint out to me. King David did in Psalm 142, verse 2. He poured out his complaint to the Lord. But he always ended in a good place, praising the Lord, didn't he? 
Pour your heart out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Tell him all about it. Tell him about your pain. Tell him about your suffering. Tell him how you wished it could have been. Tell him how you wish it will be. Tell him all about it. He knows anyway. Tell him, tell him, tell him without shame, without embarrassment. Get it out. Get the poison out between you and the Lord. And then notice, step five is forgive. That's not step one. I really believe a religious, pharisaical, religious leader, going back to the movie, approach is to make, to make step five, step one, step one. Say, come on, do the right thing right now. What's wrong with you? Shame you into it. Fear you into it. Guilt you into it. And then, yeah, you'll do it on the outside, but has anything really happened on the inside? Probably not. God wants it to be inside out. And just think about this. As you forgive, you cancel the debt, you're free. You know, when you surrender your life to the Lord, you're in union with the Lord. We're attached to the Lord. We're one with the Lord. But if we have unforgiveness towards somebody, we're one with them. And that's not healthy because we'll probably be living by their definition of us. And if we have unforgiveness toward them, obviously there's an offense. And we'll, they'll have more power over us than we'll have over them or God will have over them. And you, that's not the attachment you want. So when you forgive somebody, you're detached from them, but you want to be attached to him, release them to the Lord, and this is all going to be a part of the process that maybe is going to be walked out time after time, maybe with a particular person time after time after time, but you're walking it out, walking it out, purifying. The Lord's purifying your heart. The Lord is molding and shaping into his, into his image. So the goal isn't to say, well, I forgive them, and then I'm never bothered anymore. I'm never offended anymore. I, I don't struggle anymore. They don't make that the goal. Don't make that the goal. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to be in process. Be willing to count the cost. Be willing to bear the effects. Forgiveness costs something. It costs Jesus everything. If we really forgive somebody, it's gonna cost us something. Forgive one another as he has forgiven us. Well, as we close today, we'll um, approach things a little bit differently. Rather than having you come forward today, I want you to just uh, hold steady and uh, contemplate who who would be one that you need to go through this process with between you and the Lord? Because I don't want this to be a rushed thing. I want this to be a process that leads to freedom. Lord, thank you for this time. Bless, add the increase to it, Lord. Bring to mind whoever applies, Lord, that we need to forgive. And then I pray that we will truly be able to forgive them from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen.